excuse me, sorry, uh, this morning, go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 9. Uh, go ahead and turn there, uh, but just put your finger there, we'll, we won't get there quite yet, just want to get us prepped for that. Um, while you're doing that, um, I want you to take a quick step back in time uh, with me, back to the year 2007. And this is the story of a long-haired uh, college kid um, that got potentially bit off more than he could chew. And <laughs> so uh, we were all sitting around uh, in a uh, lobby and discussing how this one person put way too much money, way too much time and effort into a Mitsubishi Eclipse car. Um, they, you know, they did all the right things when it came to the car. They went in, they rebuilt the engine, they upgraded the turbo, they swapped out the exhaust, they did all this other stuff that you do with little cars like that. And um, anyways, he was just very confident in his car, and I had the exact opposite opinion uh, that he just spent way too much money on this car, it wasn't worth it. And so he proceeded to let me know that, well, my uh, car with all this money that I put into it could definitely wipe the floor with yours anytime, all you do is drive an old man car. So as any mature college student would do, I challenged him to a drag race. <laughs> um, so uh, up until this point, this uh, old man car that he so-called uh, called it uh, was a, because I'm, I'm sure that's what you're wondering, all right, Adam, what are you packing, right? Uh, was a 1993 Lincoln Mark 8, uh, which is basically a Mustang Cobra, <laughs> um, but as a Lincoln. Uh, he didn't know that. <laughs> he didn't know what kind of car this was. So uh, we go out, we get on this nice straight stretch uh, out by our college. We had another buddy out there, and he gave us the ready, set, go. And you can imagine his surprise whenever all he saw was my taillights. Um, now, I'm sure the other question you're asking yourself, okay, so how are you tying this to Daniel? <laughs> um, well, I want us to think about this for a little while. What, what is it that this guy did? He, he put all this time, all this effort, he took all of this money, uh, blood, sweat, all those kind of analogies, right? And he poured it into this car. In his opinion, I've done everything I possibly could to make this car right, to make this car good, right? I've done everything I am expected to do to make this car win. But unfortunately, his expectations did not match the results, and that's something that we actually get from Daniel. Because let's put ourselves in Daniel's shoe, shoes for just a second. Let's think about this. When we think about characters in the Bible, when we think about everything all the way back to Adam, to Noah, Moses, all of these guys. And we, we've kind of said this from the stage several times, like, are we good guys or bad guys? Right? For the most part, not, not great people, right? They're, they're just really not great, okay? But when we start to talk about Daniel, he's actually a pretty decent guy, right? In, in Daniel's opinion, or not in Daniel's opinion, in, in the opinion of Scripture, in the opinion of God, he looked down on it, and Daniel's doing everything that he should do. But yet, he's still met with this result of exile. His expectation did not necessarily match the result. And, and this is one of the things that we are really going to gather from the book of Daniel this morning and, and from his, his character and all that. Like I said, forget like the, the, the racing part. We're, we're, what we're trying to talk about, right, is all the time, all the effort, all, of the, all the stuff that Daniel would do to be faithful to God, it would seem 
was meaningless because he was still brought into exile just like everybody else, right? But yet we still see Daniel being an amazing example throughout this book. Now, this morning, what we're going to be talking about, there's two major things with the book of Daniel, right? So one of them being, and it's more in the latter part of the book, is all the prophetic stuff, okay? Um, and there's some really amazing imagery that God gives Daniel, um, prophetic stuff about future kingdoms and future events and everything, and all the uh, ways that he can interpret visions and everything. And it's all really great, robust stuff. Uh, that's not what we're going to be focused on this morning. We're going to be focusing on another aspect of Daniel, and that's this aspect of how Daniel and his friends live, okay? And so whenever we think about the book of Daniel, there's usually two major stories that come to your mind, okay? And one of them we read this morning, which was, Keith read it, the the fiery furnace, right? Okay, yeah, all right, we were here, right? Okay, so fiery furnace, What's, what's the other one? What's the other really major story that we get from the book of Daniel that people love to talk about? lion's den. There it goes. And there's several others. And, you know, people quote Daniel all the time. Sometimes they don't even know it's Daniel, but they quote it, right? But those are like the two major stories of Daniel, okay, that people like to talk about. And the the overall theme that we want to get from even stories like that, like I said, we're not going to be talking about specific stories, but it's like, okay, so what is it that led them to be thrown in the fire furnace, right? They refused to worship other gods. They were being faithful to their God, right? Being faithful to Yahweh. Why was Daniel thrown into the lion's den? Because he was trying to be faithful to Yahweh, trying to be faithful to his God, not pray to other gods, all that kind of stuff. So the major thing that we're going to be talking about this morning is being faithful while in exile. Okay? That, that's our major point this morning. So if, you, if you're a note taker or anything like that, go ahead and write that real big at the top of your page. Being faithful in exile. Okay, that's what we want to remember as we're kind of discussing this, okay? So, and in, in the book of Daniel, they are thrown into this, in this pagan land. So again, let's, let's put ourselves kind of in Daniel's shoe a little bit, okay? Uh, we, we see him, <clears throat> excuse me, thrown into this, this pagan culture. Okay, um, he's a pretty good guy. He's following all these laws and everything like that. But he's thrown into this pagan culture that seemingly does not respect his beliefs um, in any way. Um, but not only that, he is thrown into a um, an exile with his countrymen. And he's looking around and he's just like, man, they deserve this. I don't, you know, everything. So th- there's also this tension within the countrymen themselves. You, you see that. But and he's also bombarded with all of these t- uh, temptations and demands to consistently step away from his faith, but yet he remains true. So we see all of that happening with Daniel. So in no fault of his own, like I said, he's, he's being put in these types of situations. So how do we think Daniel is, is feeling during some of these situations, during his time in exile? I think it'd be really easy for him to start to get maybe bitter, Right? Bitter with his fellow countrymen, maybe maybe even a little angry at God. I, I think we could all sit back and be like, "Yeah, I I, I could see that. He, he he probably would 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 get angry. I, I could see those emotions, right? We we could get there. We would understand that." Um, the other side of that, of not just getting bitter or angry, is something else that Daniel and his friends could have done. They could have taken on this, this attitude or this, uh, this stance of like a holier-than-thou type of attitude, right? 
There are these, these faithful people, and it's seemingly like maybe even in their eyes, they're looking around like, man, we're the only faithful people around here. We're the only people doing it right. We're the only people following God around here. Obviously, we're better than everybody else. Holier than thou, right? And, some, and somehow they get to get themselves on some kind of little pedestal here. And how easy it would have been for Daniel and his friends to go there. Let's see, actually, that's what makes the book of Daniel profound in this way. Not just the prophetic stuff, but in this, this practical, like, living in exile type thing. Is that's not the attitude he has. That's not what we see. We don't see this holier-than-thou attitude. We don't see this, well, everybody else can just, you know, forget them. Some kind of, you know, kind of like that separatist attitude, right? It's like, eh, they've got it wrong. I've got it right. I'm just going to come over here and do my own little thing. You know, yeah, I'm in Babylon. But I'm going to start my own little temple over here. Like, he doesn't separate himself or anything like that. That's not what we see. So let's go ahead and get into Daniel chapter 9. And we're going to read some scripture here. And it's a fairly lengthy part. Um, it's only a few verses, but they're just, they're longer verses, okay? And, and what this is, this is actually going to give us a window into Daniel's heart and um, how he kind of views not just himself, but the Israelites as a people right now during exile, okay? Um, this, is a, this is a pretty major prayer from Daniel. Okay, let's go ahead and read this. And this is chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, Okay. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Does that sound familiar? Fasting, sackcloth, ashes. What does that usually represent? It's a lament, right? We usually see that kind of words whenever we're lamenting, a prayer and pain that leads to trust in the Lord, right? We've kind of talked about this, okay? So but that's what Daniel's doing. He's lamenting right here, okay? Verse four, I prayed to the Lord my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly. Uh, Land rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away, in all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame. To our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Daniel was a faithful servant of the Lord, thrust into exile, a punishment owed, I would almost argue, to his ancestors all the way up to him, right? And maybe even everyone around him. But instead of harshly judging or throwing stones, as it were, he puts himself in the mix with everyone else by using phrases, we have sinned and done wrong. Not you, not you-ins, you guys, nothing like that. We, 
We have sinned. We have messed up. We have not listened. In this particular age, Daniel would have had almost every right to stand back, write something down that said, because of everyone around me, I'm forced to be re-educated as this pagan person and everything. Like, I, I lost my name, <laughs> which everyone would know, like, up until this point, everything in, in ancient Israel, like, having your name, like, that was a big deal. Like, it defined you. And they, they lost their names, right? They had to be renamed. The bitterness that could have been in Daniel's heart, but instead, he turns and he writes it like this. We have sinned. It's easy to see how Christianity is becoming a minority. Not just here, but maybe even globally. Um, this is uh, not necessarily trying to get like political here or anything like that. But, uh, you know, like Europe is very much into post-Christianism. Um, uh, the, the, this side of the, the ocean heading there, if not already there, that kind of thing, you know. How easy would it would us be? Would it be for us, excuse me, to take a similar stance? To all of a sudden get up here and have this holier-than-thou attitude. To have this, we're better. Because somehow, because we follow the Lord, because we follow God, we're better than everybody else around us. And this is what makes the book of Daniel so relevant to us now. Because we see how Daniel responds. So we have to ask ourselves, and it should give us pause as believers. How, how do we fit into that equation? How, how do we fit into that, that narrative of, well, we're all sinners, but how do I lead them to the truth, and you start asking yourselves questions like that. How do you be in the world, but not of the world? And these are common Christian questions that we kind of ask ourselves now. Um, we, we hear sermons about this kind of stuff all the time. And like I said, the way that Daniel approaches this, where you know we have sinned, he puts himself on that same level, prays for them, and with them. He's among them. And that's the message from Daniel that we need to, get, we need to gather right now. <clears throat> so let's talk about, let's unpack this a little bit more and think about, so what, what prompted this particular, pair, uh, particular prayer? Right before, here in chapter 9, right before Daniel starts to pray this, he reads from the prophet Jeremiah. And if it would have been our Bible nowadays, it's probably been like mm, Jeremiah 28 or something like that. Back then, they didn't necessarily have the numbers or anything. So, but around Jeremiah 28, whenever he reads that the Lord says, exile will only last 70 years. And this, get, this is what prompts Daniel to move into this prayer of lament. So it's actually hope. Hope drives this. Hope that someday he will be able to re-enter Jerusalem, hope that he'll be able to re-enter the kingdom. That he gets to one day, and not just himself, but the Israelite people as a whole, 
get to come back to the presence of God because he sees stuff like that. Exiles over, we go back to Jerusalem and in their mindset, Jerusalem equals temple. Temple equals presence of God. So what he sees in this is when exiles over, we get to come back to God. We get to come home. And that's the hope that drives this. And he starts to pray for all of the Israelite people, putting himself in. We have sinned, but we ask you to forgive us and bring us home. And my, my prayer this morning and my message this morning is be like, let that be the, our, our same source. That as we reach out and as we have this message of we have sinned, we have, have this be a source of hope is what drives us. That hope that one day we also get to go home. And when we say we get to go home, there's, there's two levels here, right? So Daniel actually talks about one of them, a future kingdom, Daniel 2.44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall, bro- it shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and, break them and bring them to an end, and that sh- it shall stand forever. Daniel's talking about this future kingdom. Whenever the Lord comes back, makes everything new, this future hope that we right now get to hope in, right? That, that's what Daniel's talking about. But then we have this, this flip of the coin here. Um, we're actually going to read from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A living hope, a current hope, one that we are currently in right now. Not to freak anybody out, but just so you know, Christmas will be here before we know it. <laughs> and, and what Christmas also means here, especially what we do is, is Advent, right? Which is this idea of already, not yet, a kingdom to come, but a kingdom that we currently live in. The Bible Project did a great job of kind of illustrating this idea that, yes, one day we will all go home. But right now, here and now, we also get to live in that kingdom. We also get to live in that hope because Jesus has made a way for us to do so. He, through his sacrifice, God coming down in the person of Jesus, made a way for all of our sins to be washed away, clean. We are no longer condemned by our sin. And because of that, we get to live in a new humanity. We get to live in a kingdom here and now. And that is what we get to invite people into, the source of our hope. We proclaim that. Understanding that it is not us. We did not cover our own sin. We did not reconcile ourselves. It was done outside of us, for us. That's why we also proclaim we have sinned and we need Jesus. You have been saved because you needed saved. Human's greatest need is forgiveness and it's also God's greatest gift. It dilutes the gospel if we are not willing to stand on that. If we come up here and say, look how horrible you are, you evil people and everything like that, it dilutes it because you're not speaking from the idea that, you know, I needed saved as well. I needed that. You needed that. And Jesus brought that. 
He brought it. So now we have a kingdom to live in here and now and a future one to hope into. We are not here to call people to our holiness, but be messengers of the one that is holy. And Daniel understood that in his prayer. And as the church here, when we read this, that's what we need to take on. Not to point people to how awesome Memorial is and how awesome we do church, but point them to the one that is holy and the one that does save. And it's, it can be a very easy thing to fall into. So as, as believers, what we want to do is think about, okay, so if we are, if we're here now, if this is what we're doing, how do we live? How do we do that? So we're going to unpack this a little bit. How do we, how do we fulfill whenever Jesus says in John 17, 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world, right? We, we are not meant to take on this, but we are here, right? We're still meant to live and work and play here. So as we do that, there's uh, four specific things I kind of want to talk about. And this is, this is how we can uh, function in a foreign land, so to speak, okay? So the first one is make sure we always have an eternal perspective, okay? Always have an eternal perspective. Just to circle back around to Daniel 2.44, he's talking about a kingdom that will never be destroyed, okay? If we, if we keep that mindset that there is something greater than the life that we currently perceive. There is a kingdom above and beyond what we are currently in. And that changes the way we live, changes the way we perceive. Here's the flip to that. First Peter four, seven, he says, the end of all things is at hand, which is kind of more of a doom and gloom way of thinking about it rather than saying, you know, the kingdom that will never be destroyed sounds kind of happy, like, yes, we will always win. And this one seems like, oh, everything is just going to be destroyed and end. Like, it's kind of like the doom and gloom, like, uh, flip of it, right? But whenever we say all things will end, what Peter's talking about, he's talking about, you know, uh, my, my mortal life, your mortal life, um, <clears throat> excuse me, death, suffering, sin, evil world, all of this, everything that we see is one day going to end, but be made new by Jesus Christ. So when we keep an eternal perspective. It's easier for us to remember that we are here, but this is not our home. Okay. Next is pursue and trust in the Lord. There is a sweet fellowship with Christ in times of, of exile, in times of living in a foreign land, because then you are almost forced to trust in him, trust in his word, tr trust in what he has said. We're kind of forced into that. And Paul has a great perspective here. He has a great prayer uh, in Philippians um, uh, verses in chapter three, verses 10 through 11 is when he kind of talks about it. Uh, but he's talking about these uh, seasons of exile as to pursue the only one who can satisfy us in those times. And uh, we're actually going to read uh, Philippians four uh, verses 11 through 13. We're going to read that one real quick. So uh, not that I am speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in every 
in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And here, there it is in context. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. We pursue Christ, and whenever things are rough, whenever you do all of your uh, all the things that you feel like you're supposed to do, right? When you dump all the money into the car and you still lose the race, in abundance, <clears throat> excuse me, in abundance and in need, you're still satisfied in Christ. So pursue Christ, because we're in a broken world. Three, live in fellowship with fellow believers. Um, this is something I uh, talked about a couple weeks ago where there, there's just, we just don't have a shot of living for Christ outside of the sanctity of his church. Like if we are truly his body, the way we trust in Christ and the way we pursue Christ in this world is to trust in his body, which is the church. We have to have fellowship with one another. We have to trust in one another. We have to lean on one another. That's how you live in a foreign land. is with the help and support of the body around you. Um, for that, we're going to read Hebrews 10, uh, verses 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. 25, not to neglect and meeting together as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more you see the day drawing near. We encourage one another. We lift up one another. Finally, invite others into trusting God. Let us not forget that we are here for a mission. That everything leads actually to this point. And there's a reason why we have it on a banner on our wall. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Just the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. <clears throat> this is how we live in a foreign land. Having an eternal perspective, trust in the Lord, have fellowship with other believers and invite others and invite, invite others into trusting God. <clears throat> so this morning I want us to think about as we come into response time how we think we are doing with those things. You feel like you you struggle to have that eternal perspective where you feel like, you know, hey, this is, this is it. This is all we got, what we see, you know. Um, I let uh, my work, I let my, you know, I want to get the new car, whatever you want to say there, right? Is there something here in this realm of your perspective that has more value than the eternal kingdom that we need to be leaning on? Do you struggle to have fellowship with fellow believers? Do you uh, go and do you isolate yourself? Do you uh, find that you can make it better on your own? You have trouble trusting in the Lord. You have trouble believing what he said, believing in, that, in the gospel. If we have to be honest, we all struggle to believe in the gospel. I did this week. I'll be honest. And finally, how are you at inviting others 
than to trust in God? How are you at fulfilling the Great Commission? So as we uh, like I said, begin response time here and you have this time to pray and reflect on this, just keep asking yourself those four things. Do I have an eternal perspective? Do I trust in the Lord? Do I have fellowship with other believers? And am I inviting other people to trust in the Lord as well?